I think I'm having an art attack. What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Art Attack with your host, Lizzie Dastin, art historian, and myself, Justin Bua. Or just call me Bua. Don't say Justin. I just wanted to point out that we love doing this podcast, don't we, Lizzie? Love it so much. Love it so much. So all we ask from you as a thank you for us is to just leave us a review uh, and leave a line or two because that, that has some kind of social currency for us. Uh, we don't get paid to do this. We just love to freaking do it and to share our knowledge with you. And I know that you guys are sharing your time with us. We appreciate it so much. So if you could leave a comment, we would really appreciate that. And like I said, just one line or two, uh, albeit funny. And please also, uh, any anything you want to say about the show, we always read all reviews. Uh, and some of that have been extraordinary. And actually, we've taken some of your reviews and taken them and changed them and morphed them into actual episodes, which is incredible. So today, we are going to be talking about context. Uh, This was spawned by Lizzie saying, what the fuck do we talk about? And then uh, (laughs) she said, how about context? Because we always talk about context, right? Like we talk about the fact that if you take a, a crumpled up piece of paper with Jackson Pollock doo doo on it, and you put it on the floor, someone's going to go, ew. And then if you take that same paper and you put it on a gallery wall with a you know, second-rate artist and you sell it for $200, it might sell. Then if you take that same piece of paper and you put it in a beautiful frame and you hang it at the MoMA here in L.A. You, and you put the name of Jackson Pollock on it, it could sell for a million dollars. And quick T.O., I remember years ago when I first met you and we went to the Broad with Akira, Mm -hmm. we had this really funny proto discussion about context. And you also brought up that little piece of paper. And we were thinking, how funny would it be if Akira just walked around the various galleries dropping pieces of crumpled up paper and then she would circle back and pick them up and go to another gallery and continue to drop them like as if they were installations yeah exactly like a breadcrumb Mm -hmm. and doing that at the broad you may think oh something really important is happening but if she were to do that just on the street you would think that person is crazy let's cross the street and so it's funny Mm -hmm. and the only thing that shifts is context and so context is such a toothsome issue and lots of great examples for us to go into. And so this was sparked from the early days of knowing you. Yes. And so my mom writes me this morning, she sends me quotes often and she said, the murals in restaurants are roughly on a par with the food in art galleries. (laughs) Ouch. (laughs) The murals in restaurants are roughly on a par with the food in art galleries. So those same murals that are in restaurants which, you know, there's a point to that. There's a lot of students who do art in restaurants. There's a lot of artists who are not doing high-end commissions who are, who are doing restaurants. A lot of really good art in restaurants, too. Like I pointed out to you, Cafe des Artistes uh, in the 60s in New York City by Central Park has Howard Chandler Christie murals everywhere. I've been there many times, and they're freaking beautiful. They're oil paintings on the wall. It's insane. Uh, but most of the time, art in restaurants sucks because you have a low caliber of artist or an artist who is learning as they're going along. I will complicate your statement of 
art in restaurants sucks to say that it's probably the context that predicts your reaction to the art. Because we go into restaurants for the most part assuming that the art on the walls is going to suck. And so maybe if you put your work, let's say, let's just use you as an example, your same paintings Mm -hmm. will read differently at LACMA than they would at Marie Callender's across the street from LACMA. Absolutely. And I will complicate your statement even further by saying the food at the restaurants probably suck too. No, I'm kidding. So <laughs> I I agree with you, and I feel like when I had my show at LACMA and I had my art on the walls, people really reacted differently. People were like, oh, my God, here it is. I can't believe it. This is crazy. As opposed to when I've had shows at galleries where it's cool, but, you know, you could always – it's context. If you go into a sneaker store – with my art, you're not going to want to spend more than a certain price point. As if you go into the Ace Gallery or a high-end gallery, uh, a Gagosian gallery, and certainly a museum where you're like, I could never even afford this. And further, I took that further when I had my show at LACMA, and I took my DJ painting and I put it behind stanchions so that people had to stay away from it. Because people are like, oh, shit, that must be really valuable. So stanchions (laughs) then adds another layer of context. So the first layer of context is the work's in a museum. It has to be great. It has to be be incredibly uh, expensive. It has to be rare. It has to be just just ridiculously uh, priceless. But then you put stanchions, and it's like, wow. It's the same with the Mona Lisa. You put her behind bulletproof glass on a podium, and you just created a whole other context. So it is about context. Where you hang your work is context. And I'll tell you a funny story. I went to school with a guy uh, who's incredibly talented. His name was Michael Hussar, Michael Husser. And he did the original Army of Darkness painting for that movie, Army of Darkness. He did that painting in like a couple of days. I mean, like ridiculously good, talented motherfucker. And really talented guy. And... He was always showing in museums, I mean, galleries and high-end galleries and low-end galleries and just all over. And I felt like this was a guy that should have been, could have been, and and maybe will be this incredible, uh, he, he's an incredible artist. The guy was a great painter and I really looked up to him. And for years, he's hung his paintings in Pasadena at this like, you know, restaurant, coffee shop place. And I've always been kind of bugged out by that. Because the context of seeing his work there, and not like that's cool, like just show your work everywhere. You're an artist for the people, by the people, of the people. I have no problem with that. But these are like the original paintings. So like they're going to get degraded by sunlight. They're going people do touch them. I've seen kids touch like I've seen people touch them. And it's just not for me where I want to see his work. So for me, on a personal note, I feel very bummed out, even though I feel it's great because I have access to it, there's a certain part of me that's like, Gim, how come I can't see his work at a museum? And it devalues the work seeing it there. And it's been there for over a decade. That's really interesting. So space and the context does either legitimize and increase value or delegitimize and decrease. And I think that that is completely true. And I love your point Also, it's kind of like that one-two punch. So it's context, but it's also exhibition strategy. And that can really shape the way that a work is viewed and perceived and the way that it lands in 
the spirit of its viewer. And the example that's coming to mind for me is that historically, the way that work was shown, it's called salon style, with paintings just stacked on top of each other. And it's this complete visual cacophony. There's so much going on. Your eye is just bouncing from one work to another. And then... That's how they lay everything at the Louvre, just so you guys know. right, exactly. So if you go to the Louvre Museum, everything is salon style hung. I and mean, that mostly. Was, and that was developed by the, uh, was that the Impressionist or did that come b- no, way, way, No, 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 it was well that. before the Impressionist. Okay. So this is just a traditional way of showcasing art. I guess at the time of the Renaissance, art that was in situ, which just means in the context, in, in its original context, would be altarpieces. So you're not going to see salon style because your exhibition space is a church or a cathedral. But then once paintings are, for the most part, exhibited in some kind of viewing hall, then now we have this this explosion and activation of every inch of the wall with paintings next to each other and on top of each other. And it's hard to look because there's so much happening. It's so noisy visually that it's really difficult to land on any particular spot. So this changes at around the time of the Impressionists, so the late 19th century transitioning to the beginning of the 20th century. And an early person who employed the exhibition technique that we're used to now, which would be one image isolated on a wall. So we have the room to look. We can slow our eye down, actually appreciate and see what's in front of us. An early person who did that was this photographer and curator named Alfred Stieglitz. And he had... Mm a gallery in New York called 291, and he was a big supporter of photography. He wanted to legitimize photography as a rival to painting, and in this gallery that also showed painters of the day, like Picasso, and Stieglitz was the first person to show Picasso's work in the United States, he was also among the first to exhibit in a way that is contemporary. So that strategy changes, and I think the way that we consume art has irrevocably changed as a result. Yeah, I like when art is by itself, you know, because for me, when I go to the Louvre, it's too mind-bending. There's too much visual candy. And I'm looking at, like, you know, a Rubens next to a Raphael, next to a Titian, next to a, you know, Jericho. It's just freaking annoying, quite honestly. The Metropolitan Museum is better you know, there's definitely a lot of salon style there, but there's rooms where you could just actually take in a painting. But it's hard because you've got so much art and they want to get it up for everyone to see. But when you when you see it all, that's why when you go to museums, oftentimes you get so exhausted because it's like a visual brain overload where you just go in there and you suck up all that information visually and then your body just metabolizes it and you have that... that that cerebral energy translates to a physical exhaustion. It's like you just took a test or you just studied or you just, you know. So for me, that's how I feel. I'm just like, I'm depleted. So when I leave there, I don't like it. As opposed to the Musée d'Orsay in Paris, it's a lot more digestible. I could look at a Daumier on this wall. I walk over to this wall. There's a Degas. Same with the Norton Simon here in in Pasadena, California. I could look at, you know, a nice 
piece over here. That's why sculpture is nice because you can't really crowd them. They're not ha- they're not on top of each other. You don't have like a Rodin with an Alexander Calder mobile hanging on his head. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? <laughs> but I feel like that's like a salon style. Like you got like one next to the other. It's like, oh, fuck. And sometimes you'll never be able to appreciate why that painting is great. Because even though this painting is not as great that's below it, it's noisy and it's colorful or it just takes away from the other piece. So it is context and it is how you exhibit within that context. But how do we then feel about context of street art? Because there you're taking a painting and you're putting it on the street. So no matter what, is it valuable? Because it's really just for the public. You're displaying it freely, openly, on a medium, on a canvas rather, uh, that is not something that you can take away. It's there. There's a there's an impermanence about it, and it's done with aerosol paint, which is going to be affected by weather, sunlight, temperature, humidity, etc. Time, other people going over your shit. So I guess the question is. That context, does it devalue the art in terms of making it feel like an important piece of art? I don't know personally if it's devalued, but I think that the context absolutely changes the effect of the art, specifically with street art. And I remember when I went to that Art in the Street show curated by Jeffrey Deitch and also Roger Gassman, and we talked to him about his Beyond the Streets, I remember feeling that the work was just a little bit neutralized because it is different when you see a Kenny Scharf painted on the side of a car whizzing next to you on the freeway than when you see a Kenny Scharf contained in a canvas by a frame. And I think that there is room for both of these experiences, but to me, the raw, visceral, total authenticity of work that's out on the streets that just the nature of the game, you lose that if that right. art is inside. And I I get a little bit precious and righteous about that because I don't love seeing street art indoors. I Me just neither. don't. Me neither. Yeah, it's... It, That's like some, when, when I, I'm sorry. No, it's like cheating. I don't know. It's lying, something. It's, not, it's just a different context. And once again, this is kind of like the opposite of what we're saying, right? So from the beginning, if you take something and you place it in a gallery, you feel like it's art because it is a piece of art that normally would not be a piece of art if it was outside of that context, right? It could just be a a dirty napkin of diarrhea. I mean, a Jackson Pollock, sorry. Um, (laughs) uh, Or, but you're saying with street art, it's kind of the opposite. It's like, if you feel like it's outside, it's authentic, it's real. And you take my example of when I was growing up in New York City, I used to see Keith Herring's everywhere on the chalkboards, you know, on the on the advertising boards in New York City at the subway station, like, you know, Lincoln Center on 59th Street or 66th Street, 72nd Street. You see Herring's all over. You go to the, you know, to the east side, you see the, the handball courts of, of a Keith Herring or you see the handball courts on the east side of Lee. You know, you see the freedom pieces in Riverside Park, the Bill Blast piece at Rocksteady Park. All those pieces are so real. But I could imagine taking those pieces and putting it within the context of a museum. And there's something that would be taken away, a certain authenticity, a certain realness. Certainly not the scale, but it wouldn't be interacting with the space around it, which is why it is beautiful there. Because it's also, when these when artists are designing in the street, they're designing also... W- with the knowledge of the of that space around them, with the atmosphere of 
you know, when Bill Blass is doing Rocksteady Park, you know, it's designed with the fact that this is Rocksteady Park. There's a handball court. There's the projects right there. You know, Ken Swift is right over here. You know, legs and all the dancers dance right in front of this. So you're designing also with the awareness of your surroundings. As we're with the gallery piece, you're designing in your studio, and then you're hanging it God knows you don't know where. I mean, sometimes you do, but you're hanging on a white fucking wall. Yeah, and I think that in addition to an awareness of surroundings equals an awareness of community because when art is done on the streets, anybody can see it. And you also, as an artist, I hope are taking into consideration the people who are going to be seeing it all the time. Who lives there? How is the work that you contribute going to contribute to their lives? And you don't want to do something that's totally heterodox to the community in which you're working. But in a gallery, community is just kind of not a thing in the way that it is in the real world because the same art in that gallery space can exist in every other gallery space around the world. I remember, well, remember this happened a couple weeks ago, I was in Greece with my family and we passed this gallery with Mr. Brainwash and Desire Obey Cherish and all of the work that you might see at a lab art before they closed in LA. And so there was no sense of site specificity and the community was just a general art community of viewership at large. And so I just don't think that it resonates on the same level. Yeah, I mean, I, I and there's definitely certain street artists that go into galleries and take it over. Like I've seen Swoon go in there and paint on the walls. They're not doing canvases. They're just painting on walls. And, you know, Roger Gassman had a lot of people do that and be on the streets. And a lot of people do that all the time. Slick does it. But, uh, you know, it is really nice to see it in its original context. But it's hard to also say, like, why does it have to end there? You know what I mean? Why can't it go on in a different form? And so there's no judgment. It's just a preference. So for me, my prefer my preference is seeing it in uh, in and on the streets. And it's it's hard to monetize. That's the problem. So like people say, hey, I'm an artist too, and I want to live in the galleries. But is the gallery the only context that we can see art? And the answer is no. The answer is absolutely not. Because when you also see art in different contexts, you know, then it gives it then it gives it another meaning, right? So we're taking this concept of context and we're expanding it. So all of a sudden you see art on postcards, art on posters, art in different contexts. And what does that do? Does it cheapen it? Does it make it more relatable and accessible? For example, my art was still art, but it was in Target. It was in Bed Bath & Beyond. It was E-Gallery, Prince Plus, Deck the Walls, Burlington Coat Factory, all over, omnipresent, ubiquitous. But the context of that changes, right? So the context makes people go, oh, wow, that's cool. It's for me. I can afford it. Now, it's not originals. So now we're getting into a conversation that's getting out of the original spectrum and getting into the merchandise print spectrum of multiples. But now, what do you think of that context? Does that change where it is then? Because before people become too judgmental, let's remember that my DJ piece of Target is selling next to a Van Gogh at Target. Now, that Van Gogh is on a museum wall. That's a really good point. So you are alongside him in the reproduction, and so it's not going to cheapen your work necessarily to be in that more commercialized space. 
But I think in general, a space like Target that is going to predict how important viewers think of the work. But you're bringing up Van Gogh, that just totally shifted my perspective because we don't think of those paintings as being any less relevant or any less iconic because there are reproductions elsewhere. Right. And it's a context thing, right? So you have, you know, you have Guernica at Target or Bed Bath and Beyond. Or on a mouse pad. Or on a mouse pad or on a t-shirt. And then you have Guernica in the museum. You got to go to fucking Spain, but you got Guernica (laughs) and it's giant and you got Guernica. But why not share that in a different context? And I feel like that's a really cool thing to do to, because people love art. People like to wear art. People like to experience art. People want to take it home. And we can't all afford Guernica. I mean, I can, but Manny can't. You know what I'm saying? So like, it's like, fuck, it should be available. You know, it should be accessible. It should be for the people, by the people, of the people. And that's what's really cool going back to street art. It's like the context of on the street makes it accessible. And it's, I don't care. I don't need to travel, I guess, in this day and age to a museum to that context for me to feel like the art is special. I don't feel like the art in museums are necessarily reflective of what should be valuable or not valuable. Just because it's hanging in a museum, in other words, I've seen some paintings that should be going for $4, not $400 million. No, I agree with that. But when I travel, I like there to be a specificity to whatever local culture I am experiencing. And for me personally, I think I get that better just walking on the streets than I do in a museum that's a survey because survey museums aren't necessarily of local resonance and local generation. I do think that house museums are really interesting, like the Barnes Collection or the Frick or the Stuart Gardner. Those, to me, I still, I see incredible value in those because they couldn't exist anywhere else. For me, the context is just of utmost importance, and I really think the way that you talk about street art as existing in the world and then existing within a rarefied interior space is great. And there's a spectrum. And my preference is like yours. I prefer the work that's outside, but it is not realistic to think that artists are only going to develop their reputation there and not parlay that into a space that they can monetize. So I don't judge it either. I think for me, my issue is the slippage of language. It's not street art if it isn't on the street. So I think it is street art aesthetically inspired, Mm -hmm. but it's not the same. Sure. Yeah. uh, Okay. So I I think what we're saying is that context doesn't decide whether it's great, although for the mass, you have an assumption that if it is there, it must be great. And why don't I understand that if you don't understand why? Right? Right. I mean, I think that's really said by even, and I know this is this is another quote from my mom from that she sent me by Al Cap, but she could you could apply this not just to abstract art, but this is this is a this is a quote about abstract art, and I really feel this is really hits the nail on the head with respect to uh, context. Abstract art, a product of the untalented, sold by the unprincipled to the utterly bewildered. Now, there's something really about that with context, because if you go to a museum, people go, oh, man, I saw this piece. Did you like it? I, you know, I I guess I like it, you know, and because I saw it in a museum, therefore I liked it. I had to like it. (laughs) Or if I didn't like it, 
I'm an idiot, right? Totally. That's why we go back to that quote. Once again, it works so well. It says, a product of the untalented, sold by the unprincipled to the utterly bewildered. We could at least say to the utterly bewildered, if you're, if you're in a context like a museum, you, have a, you feel like this must be important. And if I don't get it, I'm an idiot. So you say to yourself, self, said I, <laughs> you have to like this shit. Because if you don't, you're not intelligent. And people always go into museums and they say the same thing to me. When I go to someone, I, you know, I, I like going to a museum with you, but I, don't, I just want to tell you, I don't really know anything about art. You know, but I, they, wow, this is crazy. It's a dot on the wall, by the way, that sucks. I tell them. And they go, no, 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 is it? Okay, well, that... Or then once you open up that conversation where you don't like it, they're like, oh, thank God, neither do I. Right, right, exactly. (laughs) I've had that conversation too. But it is interesting, and it is a little bit like owning a home. Like, what's a great... What's the line we always hear in real estate? Location, location, location. What's the line that we should hear in art? Context, context, context. Because if you're selling at Christie's in that context, you must be important. If you're at the LACMA, you must be important. And I love when artists disrupt that notion because it is totally correct. Context, context, context. And in history, there have been several notable examples when artists have just rejected that. Sure. And they're trying to make work and decontextualize this preciousness of what they were taught Mm -hmm. and what we as viewers are taught Mm -hmm. and to do something else. And I'm thinking of Klaus Oldenburg in the 60s when he constructed this store. And his work is very playful. It's sculptural often. And it's these enlarged everyday objects that he fabricates out of different kinds of soft materials. So there's a soft toilet, a soft burger, and he plays with scale. And he sold all of this in a store. And Andy Warhol did the same thing. He completely took over this gallery and he reconstructed it like it's the inside of a grocery store. And so a real can of Campbell's soup was sold alongside a limited edition of one of his cans. That makes sense. Yeah, exactly. And so I think that that's a very smart way of playing with our presumption of context. And then the other type of art that I wanted to at least bring up is the strategies of the earth artists. So this happened maybe 10 years after pop in the the late 60s and throughout the 70s, where artists are trying to get out of this myopic restraint of the gallery museum world. And so instead of using these venerable materials like marble and bronze and oil, even acrylic, they're using dirt and sand and rocks. And their space of exhibition is going to be the natural landscape. And that was really cool. And it's hard because it requires this pilgrimage to view. And I really think you need to be there in order to feel the, the weight of the work that it's not just going to translate on a screen or in a photograph. And so it does require this lengthy participation from the viewers. And that's cool, too, because when you go in a museum, you see something for four seconds and then you see the next thing. But if you're going to experience something that's an earthwork, it is a commitment. Yep. Art, 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 context, context, context. Peace out.